podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Twenty twenty three season is finally done, and because there's very limited content to talk about, why not talk about Campy's favourite su- subject himself? Welcome to another episode of the Lakeside Drive F1 podcast. In this episode, it's time for Team Radio. And I'm joined by my friends and yours, Thomas J. Camp in a Santa hat. Hello, mate. Good morning. How are you? Yes, I am. Thank you for asking. And Freya, who is looking incredibly festive and very excited to come back to the correct side of the world. Not long, not long. I'll see you guys very, very soon. Very excited to be here. Well, massive thank you to here and there, uh, everywhere. Aren't we all excited together? Massive thank you to you. If you have put a a team radio uh, question into our Discord, that's where I'm grabbing all of these from this morning. We'll go straight into it, team. This comes from Court. Do you think Lando will stop shitting the bed and get a race win next year or will he forever be a (laughs) non-race winner? Campy, let's start with you. Uh, I think he'll get a win at some stage, whether it comes next year or not. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm on the train that I think Lando will turn into a bit of a Hulk, you know, longest longest race record without a win maybe. I mean, Lando's had many podiums. Hulk hasn't even managed that though. Yeah, but he should be getting podiums in McLaren. So there you go. Hulk hasn't really had a car that should have (laughs) any podiums at any stage. So, uh, yeah, I think he'll get a win, but I'm not looking forward to it when he does. As long as Oscar gets one before him, that'd be just (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Do sprint races count? Yes. Uh, Freya, what do you think? Uh, he'll definitely get a win. I think the tricky thing for Lando is that whether or not he does is kind of not up to him. It's up to Red Bull at the moment. So, you know, it's going to be tricky for him because – and he'll he'll use that forever. Well, the only reason I didn't win a race is because Max was so dominant and they mm. couldn't be beaten. Which, so he's got the ultimate excuse and he's not necessarily wrong about that, but I think that's the tricky thing for him now. He will get a win. He's a good driver, like we have our opinions, but he's an objectively very good driver. He will get a win. It's about when it is and basically when Red Bull gives him a moment to take that opportunity. Thank you, Court, for that question. Let's go to Beefcake Mega now. And uh, he asks, is Racing Bulls as a team name so (laughs) terrible that we should bring back tobacco advertising? (laughs) Campy, this is absolutely a question for you. Yes, bring back tobacco advertising. Bring it back. We need the money back in this sport. There's not enough of it going around. And we all know that... Philip Morris cigarettes and Camel and Marlboro. Yeah, we need that global conglomerate of last you know, companies that, we that kill people's money back in the uh, back in the sport. Don't we still technically have it with like Mission Winnow was with Ferrari for a while and Views, which is all like vapes and effectively the same companies. So, I mean, clearly the uh, restrictions aren't that tight. Uh, Freya, though, you've watched uh, Formula One for a while. We haven't had tobacco advertising for a while, but uh, you've seen a lot of Ferraris and Mission Winnow and do you feel like a cigarette? That is absolutely the last thing this sport needs. Like just if you can name all the things that Formula One needs, that is at the fucking bottom of the list (laughs) by so far. The Ah. only thing I will say about this question, the only thing I'll say about this question though is that now they have potentially been beaten for the worst team name ever, enter Stake F1 Team Kick Sauber. 
Oh, like, it's, horrible. it's so horrible. <laughs> I reckon if Valtteri Bottas knew that was the future team name, he never would have joined this outfit. It is. 100%. That is MoneyGram, Haas F1 levels of ridiculously bad names. Let's go to George. Uh, are there any significant changes you would make to any of the current tracks that would dramatically improve racing? Freya, should we start with you for this one? It's such a big question. I think thinking about the cars at the moment and some of these tracks and if we're looking at the nature of the racing, there are probably a few tracks who would benefit from widening and widening a few of the corners so that we can get more interesting overtakes, fewer kind of DRS-reliant racing moments um, and we need to look at the tracks of the future when it comes to the direction of the regulations. So without thinking of a specific track, I think that is a kind of overall review that needs to happen. Monaco, you're probably going to be first on the list, just Mm. saying. Um, If we're thinking about a specific track, Coda does come to mind. Love it. Keep it. All of those things. But it's incredibly bumpy, um, which is something I think we expect on a street track in terms of some of the challenges that they had with the cars and the track. But at a circuit, I think we need better. The problem there obviously is it is at such a kind of fundamental level of how that track was built that it's going to be very, very difficult to resolve and they have had a crack at it, but we're still seeing that. So that would probably be my my two cents there. Campy, what about you? I mean, in Abu Dhabi we changed, you know, going into Sector 3, that last corner down the back straight. Has that significantly improved the racing, do you think? Not really, but I, I, I think it's more the cars. I think when they designed these racetracks, you think of Silverstone and Spars, you know, Silverstone, the Maggots and Beckets into the straights and stuff and the old turn one off the old start straight. I can't remember what that's called. I, look, those corners were never supposed to be flat in anything, but the reality is is the way that we've designed these cars and the downforce levels they produce and the speed, et cetera, et cetera, they turn these – corners into kinks in a straight line and then they're taken flat. I don't think anyone ever thought that those corners would be taken flat. So um, maybe we look at the cars and how we, you know, forgive me for saying this, slow them down so that you're actually (laughs) racing on a track that, (laughs) yeah, I don't want to slow them down, but yeah. yeah, (laughs) How do we slow them down? Better for the sport. There's no, there is no way that O'Rouge, should be taken flat without lifting at all. It was never designed to be like that. Mm. And we've just proved that as humans on mass, we're very intelligent. We can do these things over time. So uh, changing the tracks, I don't know if we want to change them, but yeah, anyway. We could significantly change some tracks by just deleting them from the calendar. Um, there's at least probably five that could uh, have that significant changed. <laughs> Well, we got rid of Paul Ricard, greatest decision ever. <laughs> the worst track in the history of racing tracks ever in the history of the world. Uh, you're not wrong. At least our eyeballs are treated to not having to deal with that kind of colour all the time. Uh, let's go to Ross who asks, who's the biggest Christmas nerd of the three of us? Uh, it, not me because I don't have A, a Santa hat on or B, Christmas lights draped around my neck. I don't know if I'm what you'd call a Christmas nerd. I really enjoy Christmas music. I really enjoy Christmas music. I went to a local carols event just a couple of weeks ago. It's the first time I've set foot inside a kind of 
like church or cathedral or something since I left school, I think. And it was beautiful. I love Christmas music um, outside of that. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if that's what you call nerd status or just like coral enthusiast. <laughs> I don't know. Looking at your background, your tree looks well done. I do have a tree. What is the go-to Christmas album? Is it a bit of Bing Crosby? That's, uh, well, that's the Robbie Williams has his own Christmas album, which is exceptional, uh, by the way. But also, actually, if we want to talk real Christmas albums, there is one which Paul Kelly um, produced, and that has some of the most stunning collaborations you'll ever see. One which has Kate Mill High Key on um, lead vocals with a couple of other people who I'm not going to be able to remember, unfortunately. That, if you want to listen to some slightly different fantastic music, is uh, Paul Kelly's album. I think it's called something about the Christmas train. Well, the only the only song that you should be listening to at Christmas is By the Darkness and is this one oh called Christmas my. Time, Don't Let the Bells In. <laughs> if you haven't listened to that, put yourself immediately in the bin and never talk to us again. Oh, the worst. <laughs> uh, it's not the worst, it's the best. It just got number one when it was released 20 years ago. Good on you, The Darkness. Good on you, Justin Hawkins. Thanks for being a legend. Really quickly on the Christmas status, the, uh, the, there's a video ages ago when I think it was when Carlos was racing with Lando Norris and he was asking about Christmas music, doing one of their like Christmas like marketing segments. And he goes, what was the you know highest selling song of whatever time, of all time? And he goes, Mariah Carey. And he's like, what did you just say? Said, Mariah Carey. <laughs> and the Spanish pronunciation <laughs> of Mariah Carey is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Go and look that up on YouTube. Great tangent. Thank you so much for that. I'm, I am You're welcome. impervious to a metal cover of uh, Carol of the Bells <laughs> too. So. Oh, Campy, Can get if you're going to go tangents, the Chris Stapleton cover of Metallica's, um, oh, fuck, how can I not remember this song name? Mm. Look up Chris Stapleton and Metallica. It's one of the... Most excellent covers ever. Anyway, back to Formula One. Thanks, yeah. Ross. Uh, <laughs> almost as good as this national anthem. Almost, almost. Uh, all right, let's go to Katie Seventeen. She asks, "Do you think the relationships between teammates is not as toxic as in the past?" After watching Braun GP documentary and seeing Jock Clear openly gloat about Red Bull getting pole, I don't think we'd see that these days. Campy, do you think the teammate battles are as vicious? Uh, no, let me use the basketball analogy here, right? <laughs> You're right. MJ, the, LeBron the, is goat, the best of all time. The GOAT. LeBron, <laughs> yep, go on. That, that, that generation of basketballers, it was all about trash talk, and they weren't friends. They didn't talk to Dennis Rodman. Scotty and MJ didn't talk to him. There was hatred for other teams and other peoples. With LeBron <laughs> and this, this generation of basketballers, they're all best friends, oh. and it is exactly the same in F1. Now, you get someone oh. like Max, who is an old-school MJ type of guy. He doesn't care about his teammate, and he's not into building relationships. But you get these newcomers coming through, like uh, George and Orlando and Carlos and those guys, and they're all best friends with each other. So, yes, I don't think the relationships are as bad as what they used to be, but we still some have, have some of those old-school drivers like your Lewis's, Fernando's, Max's in there that will play the games to the nth degree with their teammate and uh, – they are better for it because they ultimately come out and win. I haven't seen this new generation do anything in this sport yet other than Max, but he's old school, so 
Proves my point. Young, old school. <laughs> Proves my point. Max Verstappen makes MJ the greatest of all time. Freya, why is LeBron better? Oh, goodness. I'm not t- like not touching basketball. <laughs> that is not a thing I know <laughs> anything about, um, the exception of watching the Netflix documentary. I'm very open to say that. that is, I enjoy that thoroughly and that is all I need to know. Um, when it comes to Formula One teammates, though, I remember listening to a Toto interview in 2021, I think it was, and they asked him, it was on the High Performance Podcast, they were asking him about teammates. He was saying that when he joined in 2013, he inherited his drivers in Rosberg and Hamilton and he said, I know this is all like Captain Hindsight over here, you know, I would never have done that, but he said, he's like, did no one ever think about what these two characters were going to be like together? Mm. And had I had that decision-making power, that is not a combination I ever would have put together. Um, and he said, I'll never let it happen again either. Um, he said, I'll never let that happen again. He said, I would take somebody who is willing to, you know, they they might not be the best driver, but they are the best teammate. And I would take that person over somebody who's going to cause friction within the team. Um, and I think that, I think everyone has learned from that experience um, of those two teammates. And I think the biggest risk for that at the moment is Alpine with their current drivers um, fighting for absolutely nothing most of the time, Mm. but still doing it. And um, everybody else is kind of sorting themselves out and making good decisions. And those two haven't seen as much of it, but I don't think we're going to see that same type of toxic team environment as, as we, as we used to. Diamond 2.0 asks, will we see Tommy back in 2024 even for a guest visit? Campy, who's he talking about? Uh, Judas. <laughs> Sorry, not <laughs> Judas. Voldemort. <laughs> uh, I actually bumped into Tommy. I, I actually bumped into Tommy T the other day. We had a good chat for five How do you bump into a person without nice. a soul? Mm, the Dark Lord, yeah, surrounded by his minions. Yeah. He's loving life. He, he hasn't. Missed us one bit. No, he hasn't watched he any really F1. Hasn't. He's watched one highlights race. So from Mexico, no, he's, he's all right. So he he won't be back. Put it that way. No, no. I sat next to him well, yesterday for a couple of hours welcome. and uh, didn't talk to him because <laughs> the the office is so busy and things are going on. I said hello and that was it. Uh, he's he's the busiest man probably in coffee. Um, which may or may not be true because he could have just been playing games, I guess, on miniclip.com on his laptop <laughs> like the rest of us do. Like my year 12. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely no surprise. Bogan Surf, one of the greats. <laughs> <laughs> Kel Lane asks, what races, if any, are you are we thinking about going to in 2024? Freya, what uh, races would you like to go to? Uh, there's a difference between what I would like to go to and what I plan on going to, to be clear. Um, mine will be usually in direct relation to proximity. <laughs> um, so I will most likely be at Miami again next year. Um, hopefully we'll be in Australia, not proximity related, but there is obviously a, a pretty strong call home uh, for that race. So we'll see how that pans out for this for next year. Um, 
Other ones like Silverstones are maybe as well. Um, in terms of what I would like to go to, I would really, really like to go to Singapore and Japan. They're the two which if I could go to two races next year, they'd, they would be on my list. However, if we're talking about that proximity rule, mm. really not going by the, the guidelines there in terms of what I'm most likely to get to. But uh, there's so many tracks I'd love to see. Campy, what about you for 2024? Uh, what I'd like to go to, I'd love to go to Kota. Because it's mm. Austin's Texas is the coolest place ever. Uh, I'd love to do some of the Euros. I think Spa's probably Belgium's probably the other one, just because it's iconic. Um, yeah, night race Japan just looks like the coolest place in the world to be too. So a lot of rugby over there too. So there's a bit of cross stuff. Um, I'm going hell of you, yeah, Eddie we'll Jones. See what happens. There, uh, <laughs> there are some plans to do some stuff, but. These things are fickle and change. We've all got lives outside of this, which is not – doesn't always uh, contribute to the ease of travelling overseas and doing stuff, so that's no, good. But I'll be in the States in Feb, January, actually, end of Jan, Feb, which will be cool. So have to get some motorsport in while I'm over there, which is fun. Yeah, love that. All right, well, let's uh, go to Jono. Jono, thank you for your questions. Uh, if he's got a few, let's start with, will Red Bull see out Checo's contract, Freya? The entire contract? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Camp is off. <laughs> I, think, uh, I, think, I think they'll see out half of it at least. Um, we'll know more in at the summer break. I, like we, nothing's going to happen before then. Um, and even at that point, I just think we all know the turmoil that a switch like that mid-season can bring. Yes, Daniel is already kind of part of that team um, and that will help him to come in mid-season if that's what they decide to do. But I don't know, Campy, I want it to happen. I desperately want it to happen, but I think Checo will see the season out. Campy? No, I don't think he will. I, I think he's long gone. Uh, he'll get – look, Danny Rick – I think Danny Rick breaking his hand through a bit of a spanner in the works for Red Bulls. Uh, Agreed. Plans that were never never revealed. So I think Danny Rick needs to do testing, get three or four races under his belt so that he's got some consistency in the car and he knows it. He didn't really get that this year. I know he had the last four races of the year, but it's a long year. It's a long championship. Uh, he just didn't get you know, those seven or eight races he needed to settle in. So, yeah, it'd be good. Testing would be great for him. Two or three races in Melbourne, I think they might announce it after Melbourne, maybe even before, if Checo doesn't get good results early on and if we see the way that he's qualifying. Uh, qualifying and race pace has been quite off. Interesting, I listened to a podcast with uh, Alex Albon this week and he talked about the speed difference between him him and Max when he was racing in that team and he should have had a couple of wins if it wasn't taken out by Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, he, he admitted that he was between two and a half and four tenths behind behind Max in qualifying. And, and at, for the season that it was in 2020, um, that meant that his qualifying and race pace, although it was a bad year for him, put him outside of the top ten in the – and the lower section, you know, that seven to sort of 14 type places. Checo comes in. The gap's easily four and a half to six tenths worse than Max Verstappen. But because the car's so good, he's getting results. So on paper, it looks like that, you know, Checo is better than Albon. But it's not really the reality of what's going on. 
Albon is the best driver to drive in that as as a second driver in that car, pace wise, um, for everybody after Daniel Ricciardo. So uh, that was an interesting point for me. And I, I didn't know yeah, that. I didn't. Fair. I definitely didn't pick that up watching the sport. So I think there's people in the garage that are well aware of this stuff. And uh, Danny Rick's obviously talked about it's his dream to go back to Red Bull. You know, finish his career there, and he might get the one or two years before 2026, and it might be all over. But we'll see how he goes when he gets in. I just want him to have that opportunity to be in that top car and see what he can do to you know, try and beat Max week in, week out. And uh, he's the only driver on the grid that's proved he can actually do it over two and a half, three seasons. So um, he will be back in the car. It's just a matter of when. Another question from Jono. Can Mercedes step back up considering Lewis Hamilton is in the twilight of his career? George Russell isn't the messiah they hoped he'd be and Toto seems to be unstable under pressure. Freya. I take issue with the first part of that question about Lewis Hamilton being in the twilight of his career. Factually may be correct, but if we have learned nothing from this year, surely it's that age is not a predictor of success. Let's have a look at Fernando Alonso, for goodness sake. Um, And what we have also seen from Lewis is that as long as he's there and he's racing, he's giving it everything. It's not as though he's on his way out. He's kind of just going in to drive around the track. That is absolutely not how this man drives. If Mercedes are not back at the top next year, I don't think we can put it down to their drivers. If, Like I said, if we learn nothing else from, from this year, Lewis's age means absolutely nothing. And I agree that Russell is imperfect, especially under pressure. We've talked about that in earlier episodes. And Mercedes should be the team next year that we were talking about this year when it comes to Aston Martin. You know, they come out in Bahrain absolutely blazing and we just go, wow, like that's amazing. Didn't see that coming. What a huge step up. Now keep it going. Um, And I think with this team, we can kind of think of Lewis as a bit of a control variable almost because we know what he can do in amazing machinery, even when he's working back up from, you know, the back of the back of the grid. So if we're not saying that, you know, at least about Lewis, then I just don't think we can pin their success on, on, on the drivers in particular. Um, When it comes to Toto, Honestly, I think like given how far off the pace they were and all the problems they had with porpoising and everything else, which seems so long ago last year, mm-hmm. and the fact that most leaders in that organisation have not been in this position before, that is having to solve all of these problems, fight their way back, um, lead teams who are suffering, um, I'm surprised that they are even where they are now. So... To be clear, I think it's a really good thing that they are more competitive. I think we will see them step up again next year, but I don't think they are going to be the team who are kind of nipping at the heels of, of Red Bull. Yeah, Campy, what do you think? Uh, look, I, no, I don't think Lewis is in the he, – he might be in the twilight age-wise, but it's not going to depend on the results. As for George, well, Toto's just said in an interview he's happy to take a lesser skilled and a worse driver for the sake of uh, – Team cohesion. So, 
Look, George, for me, I said it when he got it. He's everything you want in a in a in a driver. Really, he performs at a relatively high level all the time. As for the media and all the stuff that goes on outside of the sport and outside of the car, he's he's probably a dream too. You're not going to have to worry about someone like George Russell saying or doing the wrong thing, putting stupid things on Instagram, out partying and getting caught on camera and stuff like that. Whereas if you have a Kimi Raikkonen, they need to be conversations you have internally about, well, if we take Kimmy, he's going to say things and he's going to do things and the reality is 80% of people are going to love everything that he does but, you know, he may look, not look make us look bad. So, look, I'm still unsold. I'm still a bit unsold on George. We know he's we know he's up there. He's not a God-tier driver. He's definitely a consummate professional but uh, does he jump up to that next category? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm still off him. But Mercedes have proven this year they uh, they radically changed their uh, their car design midway through the year. They bought in the, the side pods, although their design philosophy, everything pointed them in the other direction. They've bitten the bullet. They've taken that. They would have learnt a lot from the the car design changes they made this year, and they'll 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 be the second best grid on the car next year. So. Uh, mark my words, that organisation doesn't need long to get their car up to up to scratch. And I think they've learnt a lot from this year. Once they bit their pride a bit and went in the direction that everyone else went, and uh, you know, in, in a day and age where we where these teams, you know, have a person dedicated to what every other team is doing on their cars too, I think they'll be very inclined to jump back up the order at some stage. I'm not, I think Red Bull are probably too far ahead for anyone to catch them, and the amount of time they've put into their car design this year. But uh, yeah, look, they'll be back as an organisation. I've got full faith in Toto and Lewis. All right, this uh, next question comes from Tillywilly13 and is a proper audio question. So this is a question to Freya about adaptation. Oscar Piastri has demonstrated the ability to learn and adapt to new equipment, new team, driving style. He then needed to apply this to new tracks almost every race. He's also adapted to the upgrades that so significantly changed his car. This adaptation has also been seen session to session within a weekend. Often he'll be many tenths behind Lando after FP2, but he'll be on par with him by the end of Q2. Look, I'm a training developer and instructor in one of Australia's biggest training organisations. I don't think I've ever seen anyone learn and adapt like he does. So my question is, what traits do you think that he has that others drivers don't? And can you think of any other good or preferably terrible examples in this area? <laughs> Legend. What a great question. Thank you for that, mate. Freya? Wow. Goodness. Okay. I'd like an hour to think about this. but um, <laughs> You may not have one. I may not. So I shan't. Um, traits. Traits, we start talking about personality, right? Um, and we're talking about personality. We're generally talking about big five factor model. So neuroticism, extroversion, openness, agreeableness, conscientiousness. Um, openness to experience, the openness is one of those measures. At one extreme, you can see things like really magical thinking and quite eccentric behaviors and you just say yes to everything. Um, and at the very low end of that scale, these are all on scales. It doesn't put you in one end or the other. 
we are talking about inflexibility, closed-minded people who are much more comfortable in everything that they know, routine. That is something I would be interested in in terms of where Oscar Piastri sits on that scale and if he would be inclined towards greater openness. That is, he is somebody who is more open to different experiences, different ways of doing things, different working methods um, and obviously practices as well. Another trait that I'd be interested to understand from him would be neuroticism. Um, So people low on this scale, we tend to find a generally more, a bit more anxious um, in the way that they think, um, tend to be a bit more pessimistic and unsure. When you are high on that scale, you tend to see uh, calmness, confidence, that type of things. I've just got those the other way around. So high on that, sorry, is you can see what I'm going at. Um, so high on that scale, anxious, etc. low, calm, confident. Um, so if you paired for a minute somebody who was, this is all absolute speculation to be clear, <laughs> um, but if you paired somebody who had a lower level of neuroticism, so you have that tendency toward calmness, confidence, Um, paired with a slightly higher openness to experience where you're slightly less set in your ways and more open to experience, that could potentially create, you know, some traits that really kind of make you ripe for, for, for learning in an environment that is unfamiliar to you because of that, again, that low neuroticism when you have things that are unsure um, and you have that level of uncertainty, that personality trait might help you out a little bit um, in terms of, of dealing with that. So like I said, that's just that's just one idea as terms of the types of traits that you can see that can see someone kind of behave in that way. The other thing I would say probably more specifically about, about Oscar is that um, look at the stage of career that he's at. You know, he hasn't had machinery built around him. Um, he spent the entire of 2022 learning, being a sponge, from two different drivers in a team that whilst he had spent time in prior to um, 2022 was still a new environment to him and was just taking it all in. So he spent an entire year being primed to learn for this year, um, which again, set you up pretty well. And the last thing that I would say probably, there's probably two more things I would say. One is I would be interested to know about his mindset going into every weekend because when you go into a weekend like that with the expectation and the acceptance that you will have to do something, listen to what other people have to say, learn from that and then do it again differently, you're expecting to have to adapt. I'm not going into a weekend expecting to do things the way that I know to be true or that I've done before. I'm expecting and accepting the fact that I need to go in and do these things. So a mindset like that and the practices that come with it could be highly beneficial. And the last thing I would say would probably be around probably inductive reasoning, um, which is the idea of taking something very general and turning that into the specific Um, so the opposite is deductive reasoning. So an example might be that in something that is deductive, you're going, I'm going to do this very targeted set of things. Um, whereas inductive is kind of going, we've got all of this different information. How can we narrow that down to a solution? And if you're somebody who has a very high level of inductive reasoning, it can mean that you are exceptional at problem solving in unfamiliar 
situations and when you don't have all the information. Um, that is not so much a trait um, but a, um, a part of a kind of psychometric way of, of, of thinking. Um, just to be really clear, I don't know any of these things about Oscar Piastri but generally speaking when it comes to learning and experience and ability to adapt, those are traits and elements of somebody's personality and ability that I would be interested in understanding more about. Bloody fantastic. Love that. Thank you so much, Freya. Uh, yeah. And uh, Tilly Willie, I think we still have you on the line. If you'd like to call in 9481111, Pizza Hut delivery. <laughs> so this question is mostly to James. What can we expect from LSD in 2024? Also, when can we expect to enjoy pressing red for Greg, Campy's Notebook, Freya's Grid Walks, and James Richard Crail and the barbecue in the commentary box? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Very good. Very good. Oh, very good. Hey, what's uh, what's on for 2024? Who knows? It's such a great question. Uh, hopefully many, many things is the answer. Uh, we do have some exciting stuff going on for the Australian Grand Prix, I hope. Uh, well, I will be working uh, and on the trackside broadcast, which is very exciting. So if you're anywhere near the Grand Prix for any of the four days or if you're in Melbourne, you'll probably hear... Um, my voice at some point over the loudspeakers. and But more excitingly with that is I get to press red for Greg in person because I'll be working alongside the great man himself, Greg Rust, who is an absolute superstar of a human being and he's the one who helped me get that gig. So uh, I will press red for Greg forever. I think the question about an Australian broadcast team, though, is one that I often ask myself. Wouldn't it be great, Campy, if Channel 10 decided to try and pitch for the rights back? We would have such a great sort of network of people who are willing and interested to want to come and do more work on camera. You think about um, Chad Nalon, of course, Rusty, um, Crailsy, us, the Box of Neutral Boys. Like there's so many people who would have so much fun doing it. And I still, I reckon we'd still do it cheaper than whatever Fox Sports Australia pays for the Sky F1 feed, Campy. Yeah, I, I, there were some conversations very early on about there was a guy that crowdfunded uh, in Europe somewhere, crowdfunded, crowdfunded the rights for for the, the National Soccer League, uh, Football League, and uh, it turned out to be all a big hoax. He never had the money, but it would be great if we could get together as a, as a collective community and crowdfund the rights for ourselves and do a deal somewhere and get what the fans want for the fans. But um, this is a pretty... But F1 would have to sign off on that too. So uh, F1's very protective of their brand around the world. You know, it's not like anyone can just go in and and buy these things. So, look, I'm not sure what it looks like, but um, I would like some more Australian investment into the sport. Um, Even getting Weber and DC on as those two, you know, I'd rather the Channel 4 feed than than the Sky feed. So maybe there's some options there, but... Uh, maybe once we get F1 TV Pro sorted out, maybe we can choose to watch the live feeds from many different coverages around the world. Um, that's the way the sport's going. That's, I mean, I, I know we can get that with commentary, but we don't get the live feeds that come with, come with that as well. So that's where the sport's going, options, options, options. But um, not sure we're quite there yet. As for James and Freya on TV, I think they'd be incredible hosts. Me, well, not so much because... <laughs> Mate. I've probably got a head for radio. Well, I do have a you head do. for radio. <laughs> That's and, true. Uh, 
<laughs> but te- so mate, if Ted we'll Kravitz, what happens, if but, Ted um, Kravitz can get on the television and be as unhinged as he is for an hour to you know half an hour to an hour every post race thing, there is room for you on the agree, broadcast, agree. mate. Quite honestly, oh, I can imagine you with sure the big headphones that. on and the belt, your little tour belt, a little parrot talking about a water park in Albert Park. Oh, I used to. I like this lake. We could go sailing when I was four. Or something. <laughs> Don't go to St Kilda Beach. It's full of poo. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's wrap uh, this one up with the question that I've been saving for last, and I refuse to answer. Again, again comes from KD seventeen. Daniel Ricardo, Oscar Piastri, Mark Webber, kiss, marry, kill. <laughs> I said, marry, marry, marry. Um, yeah. I also said that I would sacrifice Campy to keep all three of them alive. <laughs> Let's my, sacrifice both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Uh, you don't have to answer that because it's impossible. And uh, I just thought hilarious. Lots of people enjoyed that question. Also, only one of those people is age appropriate, to be clear. <laughs> oh, are you actually going to answer it or what? Are you going to answer uh, it, Campy? Uh, uh, I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm going to kiss Piastri. Yes. I'm going to marry Weber for stability because, you know, that older gentleman, that's what you need in a marriage, a bit of stability. I'm going to kill Danny Rick because I get the feeling that Danny Rick, as much as I love him as a driver, I think to live with that guy day in, day out, he would drive you fucking mental. He's got so many little idiosyncrasies. Cannot let anyone control the music whenever anything else is on. Oh. Mate, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to my own marriage at the moment, so I think I'm <laughs> going to kill Danny Rick. So. <laughs> oh, that, wow. What a place to end. What a place to end. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, thank you to you if you've uh, not only just asked a question in the Discord for us, and sorry if we didn't get to your question this time around, but if you've just been part of our community for 2023, uh, that's it for this year. We yep. uh, we will have a look at a season review episode early next year like we normally do. Give it a little bit of time for everyone to sort of settle down and uh, try to remember that 2023 wasn't as boring as it probably was. Uh, but Freya, it's been so great We're gonna to We're going to play you. a drinking game on the podcast. Oh, great. Okay, we'll do that. Oh, God. Uh, Freya, <laughs> it's been great to have you full time on the podcast from halfway through this year. So thank you for stepping up and over, Tommy T, because you haven't filled his shoes. You've just been a lot better. <laughs> I need to learn how to control the skies next. That's my next, uh, next goal. And to, uh, anyway, uh, and Cappy, thank you again. I mean, I can't believe that this is this has been the fifth year. 2024 is going to be huge again. Um, season six for us. Yeah. Uh, and we don't exactly know what's in store yet. We do have some thoughts. We have some plans. But, of course, that always comes down to other people, not necessarily us. But, look, it's been a great year. Thank you so much to you for listening for sharing this podcast, yep. for leaving ratings and reviews and being part of the Discord community, following us on Instagram, all of it, all of it. We bloody love doing this. Uh, we are fans just like you. We are no better than you. We are no closer to understanding this crazy world of Formula One apart from you, but it's just a pleasure to talk to you all of the season long. Well, that's it. Have a wonderful Christmas, holiday season, New Year, however you celebrate, whatever you're doing, uh, enjoy it, and we will see you early in 2024. Podcast Network. 
What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.